You're listening to the Binge Media Podcast Network on BingeMedia.net. And now, the Binge Aftertaste. I live my life a quarter mile at a time. Nothing else matters, not the mortgage, not the store, not my team and all their bullshit. For those 10 seconds or less, I'm free. Gear up, bingers. It's time for the binge movie aftertaste. Fast and Furious Retrospective. Are you serious right now? Join Matt, Garrett, and Alex as they race through the entire franchise dedicated to fast cars and furious action. Stay the fuck out of my way. Where does each host come down on the series as a whole? Would you believe I knocked him out with my charm? You need that charming bitch. How has this franchise lasted this goddamn long? I need a refill. This is serious stuff. Will the hosts hate each other like The Rock and Vin Diesel by this retrospective's end? Sounds like a marriage. Yeah, but with cars, when you trade up, they don't take half your shit. Find out the answers to these questions and a whole lot more. All coming up, courtesy of Binge Media. Ow. I smell skanks. Fast and Furious, released March 12, 2009. Budget was $85 million. Box office gross of $363 million. And this was directed for the second movie in a row by Justin Lin. Don't adjust your dials, listeners. We're not re-reviewing the first film. Although Alex and I probably would love to do that. Garrett at this point is saying, I'd rather just want to go forwards. I don't want to go backwards. Just yeah, well, Let's recap my experience with this series so far. Just to answer your question. I didn't go for Vin Diesel and his gang stealing Panasonic equipment to fund their car racing. That, that movie didn't work for me. I actually said during that podcast, it would have been much better if they actually had drugs involved instead of Panasonic TVs, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I got the drugs in the second film and, well... Go back to that podcast to hear what we thought of that film. Mm-hmm. And the only movie I've liked so far involved a whole new cast and one that is looked at as the black sheep of the entire franchise. So it's been a very weird series to go through so far, although I have given one high mark. So coming into this, I was, I shouldn't say ecstatic because I wasn't looking forward to seeing this new cast, but I did really enjoy what Justin Lin did with the previous film. And also you knowing that, Justin Lin directs the next two, I believe. With this next film. Yeah. That's got to get you a little bit more, I don't want to say excited, but it whets the appetite a little bit because, you know, you were a fan, not, maybe not a huge fan, but you did like Tokyo Drift out of the previous two outings. Yeah. Like I said at the end of the last podcast, the fact that Justin Lin's doing this and I actually found out more about him and saw where he was coming from, it actually did get me a little bit, you said, not excited, but Mm -hmm. more curious than dreading what was coming up next. One thing I wanted to ask, too, for you guys, how are you guys watching these in terms of we release these every week? Are you watching it week of? Are you watching it with your significant others? Is this a 
Solo Shame Watch. <laughs> <laughs> the way it's supposed to be washed on my iPhone. No. There we go. Now um, we're talking. <laughs> in the car. Yeah. <laughs> Matt knows that I buy hard copies of every single movie that we review on this mm-hmm. podcast. So I got the whole Blu-ray set. I'm watching all the Blu-rays on the big screen. Most of the time, twice. Last week, I was only able to get one watch of Tokyo Drift in because mm-hmm. uh, it was a real busy week. But yeah, I'm watching it on the TV. And then if I want to take more notes, I have the download on my computer and I just kind of sit my laptop with my headphones and watch it that way for my final note taking. How about you, Matt? What one classifies as watching something in shame I would classify as my husband having higher standards than I do. <laughs> so I, I've offered that I'm over four on getting him to watch one of these because he, he's never seen any of them, nor does he have any desire to. Oh, I got that... five more shots. Man, it sounds like me and him should be married, not you and him. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't you already? I mean, this is pretty much a common law podcast marriage, isn't it? <laughs> you and Matt? You're not wrong. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I was yeah, just curious. Well, well, what what are you doing, Alex? Are you watching all of them with Liz? Because you mentioned the first one that you watched it with her. Yeah, yeah. With her. Are, um, is she watching them with you? She is. Yeah, yeah. We actually watch. I watch it two times. I watch it once by myself, and then I'll watch it with Liz. And you know, she's a pretty big fan of just kind of me and Matt, just kind of like schlocky action movies, especially this. Uh, I mentioned before, you know, she's a big fan of the Crank franchise oh, <laughs> for some yeah. fucking reason. But watching this with Liz is always a fucking treat because. You know, we talk about it on the binge cast, but watching something at home, the pause button is definitely at the ready because we always got to talk about shit. There's always yeah. stuff to talk about. So uh, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun watching it with somebody who gets kind of the cheesiness of the franchise, but also is like, all right, I'm not buying this. Whatever it is. All right, what I'm talking about is Too Fast, Too Furious. You know, like this fucking stupidity <laughs> of that film. Like She's just like not having any of it. So, uh, yeah, we, we sat down and watched this the other day. I usually do two viewings, and then I'll do a third one where I have it on at one and a half times the normal speed. Oh, just nice. So yeah. I can, you know, I can jot down notes. I can look for scenes I want to rewatch. But if there's something that I know pretty well, I can skip around because i got two under my belt. Mm-hmm. But speaking of multiple viewings, that's not what happened with Tokyo Drift because it was the lowest grossing of the first three. And people were wondering what the future of this franchise held. Was it going to continue into spinoff or were they going to go the Hellraiser route, just do direct-to-video movies that they just shift into being Fast and Furious type movies? But if you stayed to the end of Tokyo Drift, you saw that Vin Diesel did indeed make a return for rights to the Riddick franchise, as Garrett talked about on the last show. And he was like, yeah, I'll come back for the next one. But he was not the only one. Pretty much your main four actors from the first one all signed on to do the next one. This was back in 2007, so a little bit of a year after Tokyo Drift. One thing I noticed was at this point, everybody needed this. Hmm. You know, Michelle Rodriguez had a DUI. Her career and PR department was derailed. Vin Diesel's plan to overtake the Bond franchise, as Matt mentioned. Well, that didn't go so well. And this is literally the first thing on George Ann Brewster's resume after Texas Chainsaw, except for a couple episodes of uh, Chuck. <laughs> So this everybody needed this at this point. Paul Walker, he did a movie called Running Scared. It was it was okay, but it didn't really set anything on fire. So right. yeah, everybody needed this. So I think this was more necessity than people saying, let's just get together for a reunion. Kind everybody needed the paycheck. Kind of feels that way too. Yeah. Well, let's also remember Paul Walker at this point, he had really given up on being an actor. And, and I know this from listening to people who knew him pretty well. By this point in his life, he loved two things in life. He loved being a dad. 
and he was a very avid surfer. And he would do movies at this point basically for the money because he realized, you know, I'm not going to be the next Keanu Reeves or mm-hmm. the next Ben Affleck, what have you. Why would you want to be one of the most highest paid actors in the world? <laughs> I, I don't understand it. He didn't want to be the next, but he's the first Brian O'Connor. Oh, okay. <laughs> See, he just needed to look at it from a different perspective. (laughs) You're absolutely right, though. This was not something that was done as sort of a nostalgia trip or anything like that. It was very much everybody needed a gig. I would say Vin Diesel of the four had flamed out the most because he was coming off a series of bombs like Triple X, Chronicles of Riddick. You know your career bottoms out when you star in a movie where you work with kids. In the pacifier for Disney. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> that is the side your career needs rescuing. I so forgot yeah, about the pacifier. So but yeah, everyone sort of needed a gig, and Justin Lin was willing to come back on. If you look at the box office returns, it goes to show that I guess people were clamoring for specifically your main two guys to share the screen again for mm-hmm. eight years later. Yeah, money talks, bullshit walks, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, all three of us gave that last film pretty decent marks, but it flamed out. It Nobody showed up to it. So bring back the main cast, boom, everybody comes back. And this thing, it made, what, like 72, 73 million this first weekend or something? Like something catastrophic. It was insane. Yeah, money talks, bullshit drives at a quarter mile at a time. <laughs> <laughs> While staring at the person next to him. <laughs> Still, we have to bring that up every single episode. We have to. It's amazing. Let's not forget that this franchise can also withstand bullets so much that no exit wounds exist. Well, we could be here all night dissecting the absurdity of these movies, but I want to get all you listeners out of here at a timely pace, not quarter mile at a time. But we we got to kick things off and kick things off, much like they do with the first one. We actually have Dom and his crew at work stealing something, although they're not stealing Panasonic TVs and they're not stealing heroin. They're not stealing cable. They're stealing gasoline. This is the, we have entered Mad Max territory. We are getting the crossover of Mad Max and Fast and the Furious, where gasoline apparently in the Dominican Republic is the only currency available. And that's why Domino's crew have to steal it off this fuel tanker that is driving on a road with no traffic whatsoever. Right. But this was very topical in 2009. And I actually enjoyed this more than stealing TVs. They're stealing gas. Mm-hmm. And gas was a huge commodity in 2009. We were wondering where our next load was going to come from, pretty much. And mm-hmm. speaking of loads, I got to say, this opening action scene is the definition of blowing your load early. <laughs> I don't care what kind of action movie you're a fan of, whether it's Indiana Jones, Die Hard, even Transformers. You will find something to like in this action scene. There are cliffs. Letty's on the back of a truck, a huge ticking clock. This scene is fucking phenomenal. Mm-hmm. I love this opening action scene. I didn't remember too much about this movie, but I remember two things. One of them was Letty dies early in this movie. So I thought maybe she died here. So I was expecting her to get run over, get shot. And by the way, she's outside on this truck as everything's going on. It's just, mm-hmm. it's great stuff, man. I was really thrilled is, to yeah. death with this first scene. Mm-hmm. I think of the first four, this is the best opening that they've had. It sort of takes what the first one did. Here, everything's clear as day. and get a lot of stunt work where they're putting the connector so one car can get in. This driver eventually realizes, oh, shit, there's someone at the back of my car. He starts shooting at him. But if you're paying attention to the last movie, we see Han alive in one piece. So it kind of makes you wonder, what are they doing with the chronology of this series? Mm-hmm. And little did we know at this point, there was really no word that was going to be put out there that this was a quote-unquote prequel or the chronology of this series was going to change 
they had to connect the dots of Vin saying in the, in the end of the last film, oh yeah, Han's a friend of mine, or however that was mentioned yeah, in the yeah. last film. So they connected the dots here. It reminded me of the end of Revenge of the Sith when Yoda's like, to Dagobah, I will go. You have mm-hmm. to connect the dots. So, And Lin liked this guy so much. You He's know, great. And I mentioned I liked Han a lot in the last podcast. Yeah, absolutely. So I like the fact that I saw him, no matter how small of a role he had, at least I got to see him. I, I got to disagree because I don't think you need to connect the dots. It, only because it adds a little bit more confusion to the timeline than is mm-hmm. necessary for me. You would think if you were universal, you would want to distance yourself from Tokyo Drift as much as possible. By having Vin Diesel... Mm-hmm. It's almost like they felt obligated to make that quote unquote canon. Cause I, I think if it wasn't for that cameo, no one from Tokyo Drift would ever come back. True. Mm-hmm. But this character is Justin Lin's baby. And, and something tells me that if he was going to come back, he was going to bring him back no matter what, somehow, some way. Even though I have issues with it, I, it's still, I'm fine with it at the end of the day. Because you're right, Justin Lin does love the Han character. And he's mm-hmm. a great character. I mean, so in my opinion, we talked about it last time. He's probably the coolest character so far in the series. Oh, positively. Speaking of cool, once we get towards the end of this opening chase scene, he gets Letty back in the car and he drives directly through the gap between a flaming tanker just as it's going up in the air and doesn't explode. This, to me, is the signal that this franchise is finally fully committing to being beautiful garbage. Yeah. Because they have now said, fuck it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And that, that's why I mentioned Transformers in the action scene, too, because this felt very Transformers to me, the way this car was rolling and just the ridiculousness of it. And yeah, just in the moment, you see Dom just kind of look and you know he's concentrating. And Letty's like, will you fucking move? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He goes right through it. And yeah, I dug it. Uh, oh, it's great. And to me, it's you mentioned Transformers. There's definitely some bayish components to this movie, mm-hmm. but I think there's another director that this movie owes a lot to, and I'll save it for a little bit later because there's one scene in particular where it hit me. Oh. So I'll keep you in suspense a little bit longer, but there's no suspense in this scene because we know Dom's going to be okay. We get our title card, and they're using the gas stolen to fund illegal street racing. So I guess this is how they make their money since, let's not forget, Toretto's a fugitive. Right, yep. Because, you know, spoilers, this movie does take place... I think they say five years after the first one. I know there's there's a definitive timestamp that's mentioned, but you know they're living in the Dominic. They're having street races. There's mm-hmm. the pussy everywhere, and he's having a conversation with Han where he's like, "Oh yeah, I'm gonna go check out what's happened in Tokyo," and everyone's like, "No, no, no, don't go." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Letty has a confrontation with Dom, saying that eventually Pied Piper is gonna come looking for his comeuppance. So <laughs> you gotta figure something out, and he gets up and leaves her. Yeah, they go through all of this. And you forgot to mention, Matt, and, uh, uh, did you see the short film that Vin Diesel did kind of as, as a prequel to this? It was like 15 minutes. And um, it, it pretty much describes how these two have been doing these jobs for a while now. And it's just so funny after establishing these two as they are, Dom just gets up and leaves. Mm-hmm. And, speaking of pussy, I mean, this is Dom just going to get more pussy, right? Yeah. I mean, he meets Wonder Woman later. I mean... <laughs> It's just like later, Gator. Oh, and they all here's the beginning. Well, the first one's the beginning, but this is the continuation and the doubling down of everybody just wanting to please Daddy fucking Dom. And it's 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 something that I mentioned in the first episode that we did that I don't understand. Other than it's you can literally you can fucking see Vin Diesel's thumb on the scale. Of, like, the script needs to be based. I need to be the center. I need to be the hub of this. The women just fall over themselves for Dom. Even if when somebody does something wrong, they just, like, beg for forgiveness 
for Dom, and it's it, absolutely ridiculous. Believe it or not, I like I said, I've, I've been really taken by what Justin Lin's been doing. So he, he has a commentary track on the Blu-ray I have. So I actually listened to that for one of these viewings, and on this track, if you hate, if you don't hate Vin Diesel now, you will after I tell you this. So Vin Diesel came up to Justin Lin and said, what does this mean? I mean, I've read the script, but what does it mean? And Justin Lin said, it's a redemption story. You are redeeming yourself. You are Jesus saving this clan. And then Vin Diesel just, he, all of a sudden Vin Diesel went and you'll, you'll see like in his car, he's got the cross and yeah, yeah, yeah. we have some <laughs> scenes in churches in this thing. You tell a self-serious guy that you are now Jesus, he will take it to a whole new fucking level. Mm-hmm. Speaking of whole new level, we haven't seen Brian O'Connor for a while and he's gone from LAPD officer in cooperation with the FBI Mm-hmm. to someone on the run who is coerced into going undercover to a full-blown FBI agent. Massive promotion goes to show, it's like the cinematic equivalent of failing upwards. <laughs> yeah, it's like, no, it's absolutely. Like, yeah, this yeah. guy, he's quote-unquote succeeded both times. But would you really trust this guy with a spot at the bureau? I don't know how they do. Because you're right, it goes from L.A. cop to disgraced L.A. cop to being like, yeah, you know what, that guy's perfect. Let's get him on the... Yeah, uh, and, and- in this federal yeah. agency. Sure. And the, he took money in the last job he did. Like, he took that. Him and Roman were supposed to take that money and start some business or something, right? And yeah. That's about he let Dom go. On top of that, though, you know, it was kind of weird to go from, like, a master class in cinematic car chases to a foot race with Paul Walker. But whatever. And I mentioned at the end of the Too Fast, Too Furious podcast that they would have a lot of work to do to have me actually like Paul Walker after that shrill of a character he was in the first two films. and. Mm-hmm. I'll go ahead and say, I think Lynn's done it to an extent. Walker is the best I've seen yet in this movie. And they also give him a haircut and dyed his hair brown. I I know I mentioned in the first one that it was a dye job, but apparently that was his natural color. And they had him dye it brown for this. But they have given a legitimacy in this movie that I never felt he had. And there's one mini instance where I really don't like him because there seems to be always one of those. Mm -hmm. Uh, But for the most part, I didn't mind him in this movie. He's a little bit more grounded. A little bit more, yes. yeah, weighted to the ground for sure. He's a little bit more mature too. He doesn't come across as a frat boy douchebag yes, as he kind of does in the first two. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Like he, he's kind of had some growing up to do, which you which you have to to work for the FBI. Garrett, all I can think of was Casino Royale when they have this foot chase. Oh yeah, yeah, good call. Especially like when they're jumping over the fences and stuff. Although I do love how Brian O'Connor just says "fuck it" and just jumps through the window like he's Batman. So he's chasing this guy, and he gets this name, David Park. So it's this guy they're trying to track down. You know, he goes back to the FBI. Superiors are like, I could find 50 David Parks. What's the big deal? So we find out the FBI is trying to bag this drug dealer, Raga. So he's Mm -hmm. the big, quote-unquote, villain of this movie. So, you know, the first film, we had wannabe Yakuza. Second film, we had a pasty white Colombian drug dealer that they claim to be Colombian, even though he's clearly not. And then the third film, we have the Yakuza. And in this one, we finally have stereotypical Hispanic drug dealers. Mm -hmm. We then cut back to Dom being on his own. And he gets a phone call. Turns out it's his sister, Mia, who we have not seen since the first film. Because apparently she doesn't get a car. She doesn't do the heist. She she stayed at home. (laughs) It's never really explained why. But she tells him that Letty's been murdered. So all you people who came here to see Michelle Rodriguez... Ooh, sorry about that. We won't even have the decency to kill her on screen. We're going to kill her off screen. Yeah, that was really weird. People know I take copious notes while we do these podcasts, even when I don't do the plot summaries. Like, I want to get my thoughts down. I was doing that throughout the course of the beginning 10 minutes or so of this movie, 
And then when I see this phone call, I'm thinking, fuck, I missed her death scene. So I'm trying to rewind to see if I like missed it as I was taking my notes or something. But I got to say, I, I did like that because I found myself wondering the entire film whether she was going to be revealed to be the movie's evil mastermind. You know, I, I thought maybe she would be Braga. There are certain things they do with it that I hate, which I'll bring up when we get there. And there is a point in this movie where I do turn against it fully. But right now, I'm incredibly intrigued and um, kind of digging the story. I think the movie gets away with it for two reasons. One, there's always that crux of, well, they might not really be dead, which, mm -hmm. spoiler alert, is the case. Although that screams to me of retroactive writing. I don't think that was their intention, ever mm -hmm. bring her back. Mm-hmm. But second of all, she was almost a non-entity when you go back and watch the first movie. So I don't think I could be too upset that they, quote-unquote, kill her off-screen because she was just a prop in the first movie. And really, that, that's all you needed. She was the most active person in the opening. So I think the movie, it's a little sleight of hand, but I think they pull it off. I agree with that. And you're right, because like that, the first movie, you know, she's kind of a big name, but she doesn't really do anything. She's just Dom's arm piece. The entire time. She doesn't really have any scenes. She has that menacing look all the time. And that's pretty much mm -hmm. it. But I, I do like the turn. You know, like one of the crew gets murdered. That's good to push the story forward. I couldn't stop thinking about, too, when you, you mentioned the first podcast, about the way pretty much her acting consists of her looking down and, <laughs> <laughs> and up. Yeah, just look at the... <laughs> moving your head yeah. down and looking up. That's all I thought of when I... Yeah, Rob, Rob <laughs> Cohen had a laser pointer on when she was on camera <laughs> to tell her where to move her head. <laughs> but also this movie they've stripped all the bullshit out and what i mean by that is this is the most straightforward of all these movies it's a revenge mission for one guy and it's a cop going after a criminal and, there and there's undercover components but it's nowhere near as complicated as it was in the first two not only that and, and there's not successive scenes of bad early 2000s music over a montage of people partying and in the street, you know, getting the fucking races all organized and put together and everything. It's a good reprieve from all that bullshit. Speaking of stuff that echoes other franchises, this funeral scene, Garrett, I half expected Freddy Krueger to be looking at the distance. <laughs> it was an interesting funeral scene, wasn't it? And of course, we have Paul Walker looking from the side. Yeah. yeah it, it the was one really spot weird. that, that yeah. Vin Diesel was standing in. Oh, oh that's so, so yeah. bad. <laughs> It was really bad. <laughs> so bad. Dom eventually makes his way back to Mia because these cops are the worst at their jobs. They're only staking out the front half of the house. But because <laughs> there's a fence, they don't want to go back. They're like, oh, that's out of our jurisdiction. Fuck it. Oh, these cops are fucking wads in this series. Yeah, but you know what's weird about these cops, though? I noticed this. Cops are supposed to be the quote-unquote good guys of society, right? They want Dom and his crew to be the good guys. So they don't want the cops to be too smart. To make it look like these guys can be outsmarted. That this franchise right. is really careful to not make the cops be too good because we want to like Dom and his crew more than the cop. Mm -hmm. Speaking of cops, we then cut back to Brian. He's getting his FBI briefing once again, where the movie does some pretty creative stuff here. If you notice, when they bring up Braga's dossier, there's no picture. Mm -hmm. uh, there's no information whatsoever. They mentioned that they've previously sent three other agents undercover, and they've all been murdered. <laughs> so apparently it took three deaths for, for them to be like, all right, Brian, you're up. Good luck. Because <laughs> Wait, let's not forget, this guy has gone undercover twice and had marginal success given what they asked him to do. Yeah, I was just going to say, they having a conversation, I would love to see that deleted scene where they're just like, do you mean that douchey surfer kid? Like, yeah, we yeah. got to get him back. He's the only one who can infiltrate this kid. Come on. 
This guy gets more chances than Mark Furman. I swear <laughs> to Christ. Mia takes Dom to the set of Letty's accident. And oh. even the... Oh, okay. So the director that I mentioned. This movie reminds me a lot. If you swap out Justin Lin for Tony Scott, I would not bat an eyelash. Because... Oh, wow. This reminds me of when Tony Scott in the mid-2000s went through his crazy editing phase... Yes. Where it got really hyperactive, thinking of stuff like Domino and Deja Vu. Yeah, it started with Man on Fire, and then it just, he went fucking wacky after that. Yeah. And this is also like Man on Fire because it's a revenge movie. Right. Like, this to me reminds me a lot of Tony Scott around this time period. And I can't knock it for that because Tony Scott's in my top 10 favorite directors, but this Batman detective vision where he has like foresight to an accident that he was not there for. I and it's, it's fucking... only here to show the audience that, yes, she got shot and killed. I fucking hated this. this you know, Matt, next next amazing. week you and I, we're going to be returning to the world of M. Night Shyamalan. And Alex, I thought maybe you might have been the genius of all schedulers because you pushed for us to schedule this right before we go back into Shyamalan. But sure. I thought maybe you knew of a tie-in between this and The Sixth Sense. <laughs> because he just looks down and all of a sudden he sees her die the he... way she died. <laughs> I, I oh this was uh, incredibly stupid. It was it's so bad, it, and it it goes again to my whole thing about Dom. Everyone loves him. Girls want to fuck him. Guys want to be him. He's also clairvoyant. He he can. <laughs> why that should be his second life is just he just shows up. He's like a, a like a police dog, and he just shows up to the crime scene, and he can fucking <laughs> figure everything out. Police dog. It just it doesn't. <laughs> It's so bad and cheesy, yeah, and yeah. that's saying a lot with this series. Yeah, it is. I laugh at it every single time, but I'm <laughs> laughing at it. This movie, I would say, it's a good balance. There is some self-seriousness in it, but I think that's necessary given the motive that your main character is working with. And it doesn't go quite as pedestrian, pardon the pun, mm-hmm. as the second one did with its humor. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think they strike a good balance here. I think this movie's a lot of fun to watch. You don't question it, but this is the one moment where it's like, okay, put your car in park, fill it up, don't ever do that again. And, yeah, and I want to say, it, I, I'm still not turning on this movie. I am laughing at the scene hysterically, but I am not turning on this movie just yet. It's coming up, but mm-hmm. still, I'm still intrigued by where the story's going. Yeah, yeah. So Brian's back at the FBI after Dom conveniently talks about how he discovers nitromethane at the crime scene. He's like, there's only one guy I know besides nitromethane. <laughs> Sure enough, Brian also figures that out because Mia was taken in as a witness by the FBI. He takes her out to dinner or out to coffee or something. And my God, I don't know what happened in those eight years. I I think it's intentionally icy between the two of them. Mm -hmm. But to get them to where they are at the end of this movie, it's a lot to swallow. My favorite part of this lunch is when Mia asked the question of why Brian let Dom go. And his answer was, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I think that was the writers talking to us like, fuck, we don't know. We don't know why you let him go. Dom goes full equalizer for the next five minutes because he interrogates this car shop guy who picked a very poor choice of words when he says, don't touch me. Say hi to your sister for me. Of course, that's going to piss him off because you yeah. know he's coming after you. And this supports my theory of superhuman strength because Dom is holding up a car engine inches away from this guy's face with one arm. Like, yeah, well, you realize how strong that. you have to be to do that? Well, he's strong. I don't know. He he can also lift. I mean, he's amazing. You yeah. see the yeah. He, you see those guns. He can time a tumbling, flaming car to the point where he can drive right under it. 
And Alex is right. The girls want to have this guy, right? You have to make him as studly and awesome as possible. It's almost superhero-esque at this point because yeah. we've already seen his clairvoyance. We see him run underneath <laughs> a fucking flaming car. And now we're seeing his super strength. This, this is getting pretty fucking ridiculous. The next franchise that this is going to cross over with is Iron Giant because he is super. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there you go. I forgot he was the voice of the Iron Giant. Now, these movies are always reliant on conveniences to a certain extent to get people in the same place. Turns out that the David Park is indeed the person that Brian was after. So Dom goes with the full intent of trying to beat the shit out of this guy. And we get our first reunion between these two guys for the first time in eight years as Brian holds him at gunpoint. Dom gets away kind of shorthandedly because he leaves the guy dangling outside yeah. with nothing but a freaking shower curtain or blind <laughs> to hang off of. I like this because he, he still technically lets him go. You could just as easily have arrested him or shot mm -hmm. him. So it's character consistency, and I do have to appreciate that for what that's worth in the context of this series. But that doesn't sit so well along with letting a witness go with Brian's co-worker slash superior, who he just cold cocks. <laughs> no problem. And I love how they cut to them in the office boardroom, and he's got he's already got a bandage over his nose, and he looks like he's got the shit being out of him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this, this little dweeb just gets his fucking nose just broken by Brian of all people. <laughs> really? Yeah, apparently Brian also took some pretty extensive fisticuff classes because we see he can hold his own to a certain extent with Dom later on in this movie. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, okay, to a certain extent, but he does get thrown around a lot because he's not particularly muscular. And also uh, that that's a scene in which, again... Fucking, he's just repeatedly apologizing to Dom, you know, because yeah. you don't want to make uh, Daddy Dom upset. He's literally the Godfather. You, you got to kiss the ring. <laughs> That's oh, right. Jeez. The only time you're going to hear me compare the Godfather and Fast and Furious. I sure as hell hope so. I'm surprised unless, it took four unless movies. They get, unless they get Al Pacino <laughs> to be in one of these movies, which I hope for, especially in number 10. Think sure. about it. Fast 10 Your Seat Belts starring Al Pacino. Oh, my God. That's that amazing. Movie. That is amazing. <laughs> I was just wondering how they were going to fit X into the title, but Fast 10 is pretty great for a title. That's it. We get a great, pretty convenient that Braga is holding a street race to find drivers for his drug operations. Brian gets entered. I do love this scene. He's got a nice rapport with his coworker slash secretary. He's like, she's like, which car do you want? He's like, all of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to see him drive one car of these three. I don't think the other two get used at all. Mm-mm. Also, you know, they um, <laughs> they spend so much time uh, where he actually fucking Brian is like, yeah, I'll, I'll take all these cars. Isn't this basically <laughs> fucking Too Fast, Too Furious? Pretty where, much, where, yeah. where the bad guy is like, no, I we need to have a rat race, cannibal run style fucking <laughs> to see who's going to be my next driver. It seems so fucking familiar to the second it movie. Is, but that's the whole mantra of this movie is we're going to take all the stuff that came before it and just do it better. Yeah. Hey, did it work? Don't you guys yes. Get the okay. Let's let's uh, yeah. exit. You know, let's times it by 10. Don't you guys get the feeling that they're trying to make this? The second movie in the canon. Oh, this, absolutely. Mm -hmm. This to me feels this like is, the Fast and Furious 2. You're totally you know? right, yeah. It feels no, like the, the is, spiritual sequel to the first yeah. movie, for sure. I'm trying to find another comparison because we, we've seen franchises do this all the time where it's like, oh, this is the true sequel. You mm, know, yeah. I think of like yeah. Terminator Genesis pulled that trick. Yeah. Ironically, uh, a lot of James <laughs> a lot of James Cameron productions. 
Superman Returns, I think of that. Yeah. It just seems like they're trying to... Look, I, I've been pulling clips for these intros and outros, so I know that we'll see Roman again. So they're not going to take him too out of this franchise mm-hmm. fully, but it's just weird that they're really trying to make this the true sequel to that first film. Yeah, I almost tell people, you would go from one to four and then just take the reintroduction of characters we've seen once they get reintroduced as, oh, these are just people they know. Yeah, like mm-hmm. I, I don't think it's required to be going to watch two or three. I think to get the grand scope, especially there's something that I think is a, a necessity to watch the third one, which we'll talk about later. But yeah, you're absolutely right. This is very much the studio saying, we're going to try to right the wrong, so to speak, and make this the real Fast and Furious 2. Yeah. We finally get to the race. And if there's one thing that made me laugh unintentionally, it was recalling previous conversations I've had with my beloved partner, Garrett, and knowing how much he dislikes Gal Gadot and how much he also does not care for this series. So combining those two together, I picture his fucking head exploding like scanners when she shows up at the street race. I forgot that she was in the series. I yeah, completely totally. forgot she yep. was here. Me too. And she's awful. She's her normal self. She's awful. In the podcast that we did that pretty much ended our best of list, we reviewed Wonder Woman 1984. Right. And that was like a 40-minute conversation or so. And in that conversation, I had mentioned that I think of her as Madonna. She's very good if she has the good people around her to produce her. But if she's left by herself to deliver lines, she is horrid. And I had to turn on the fucking subtitles because I can't understand a word this bitch is saying. Yes, absolutely. I had to do the same thing. And she she's awful. And she's I really, I mean, she just came onto my radar with Wonder Woman with the first one. And I'm like, oh, you know, she's mm-hmm. pretty hot. She's okay in this, I guess. You know, I wasn't really thinking too much about her acting because it's a fucking superhero movie. So what do I care? It's yeah. not what I go to those movies for. But then seeing her in other stuff, it's like, oh, man, she is really bad. She's so bad. I almost can't quantify how bad she is in this movie in particular. This is her first role, right? This is the very first thing she did. I believe oh, really? so. Yeah, this was her debut. Not the first movie she auditioned for because she auditioned for Quantum of Solace. Oh, yeah, we did talk about that. She's pretty bad in this. And I love how Letty's dead and she's trying to get Dom's number and such. And even by the end, Dom's like, yeah, I'm good. Yeah, <laughs> He's like, you don't see the line outside of women waiting to fucking just lick my toes? Are you kidding me? Get the fuck out of here. She, but she is immediately all over them and it's like all right Uh come on yeah anyway insert joke here about gal gadot's character's name i think it's giselle this is the one character i forgot what her name is everyone else i can recall no problem i'm just like fucking wonder woman fuck it why does it matter what i call her because that's all she can fucking do but she instructs all the drivers that show up all of you are here winner gets to be braga's driver and in a clever bit of foreshadowing, I must say, we're introduced to Compost, who's the second in command, who we'll eventually find out is actually Braga in disguise. It would make sense that he's the guy in charge, considering the first thing we do is see him playing golf and no one's bothering him. And we'll see him later on at the club. He seems to be running everything. There's enough indicators that there's a false pretense. But again, I'm still thinking this entire time that it's going to be Letty. So I'm thinking this guy's just a fucking red herring. Every time they show him. And when it's kind of, we'll get to the reveal later, but when that eventually happens and he's revealed to be Braga, I'm like, oh, that's an interesting twist that means nothing. It's a really good point. Uh, it's also yeah. not really designed to be a quote unquote twist. It's only yeah. played up that way given the climax of this movie, Jump Ahead, involves them waiting for a fax to be sent. <laughs> <laughs> In a Fax and Furious movie, they're waiting for a fax. The Fax, fax and, and Furious. furious. Yeah, Fax yeah. and Furious. <laughs> 
and they were waiting for it to load on their Panasonic monitors. <laughs> and we also forgot to mention Dom sort of knows that one of the guys killed Letty because he got a lead about a 72 Grand Torino, which one of these guys has. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wonder if they picked that because of Clint Eastwood's movie that had just come out. Just saying. Oh, yeah. But the race is on with pretty ahead of its time GPS technology that not only talks to you, but projects pictures of hot women to tell you when to turn. If only the family <laughs> had this GPS in the fourth Toy Story film, Matt. <laughs> They'd all be dead if that happened. <laughs> this race, it's kind of fun. I mean, the fact that it was in Koreantown threw me off because you can't get a fucking race going in Koreantown. I don't give a shit how much you <laughs> block that shit off. Mm-hmm. But this race is the moment when I start to turn on this movie. Oh, really? You know, I understand. Yeah, I understand. This is a Fast and Furious movie. You sure. need a race. I get it. But Brian O'Connor is in the FBI. Dom has moved on to robbing tankers. Aren't these guys a little too experienced and a little too old to be right back street racing? This seemed extremely unnecessary. and It doesn't make any logical sense. Yeah, I, You're I can't. About logic in a Fast and Furious movie. <laughs> well, yeah, that's. The... I've done it for three straight podcasts. <laughs> that, that's our. That's all of our crosses to bear at this point. Line, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can't disagree with that. I can't disagree with that. I don't know. I, I haven't gone forward to watch uh, Fast Five yet, so I'm starting to think that do they shed the whole like racing thing after this film? Not entirely. Because Not entirely. At least okay. one other movie I can think of that that has a, a big race in it. Because it does seem like, oh, fuck. It seems like an afterthought, Garrett. Like, oh, no, we got to put racing in this. That's why people showed up to begin with. They're used to it. They're expecting a race. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's why I said I get that it's a Fast and Furious movie and you have to include mm-hmm. it. And by the way, all the booty shorts and all the dancing and stuff before this race, yeah. that wasn't Justin Lin. That was the producers. Because Justin Lin wasn't going to include it. He didn't want to. But the producers were like, um, this is why people come to see these movies. You need to include chicks kissing and dancing in tight shorts. <laughs> So that was the whole thing. But yeah, it just, I I get it. I really do. This is the crux of this series. This is what this first movie that was a huge blockbuster and this franchise is built on for this movie, for where they've taken these characters. I thought it was just completely unnecessary. So you mentioned the million dollar question of, are these guys too old to be street racing? I don't know. Because the first thing Brian does after he loses it, throws a hissy fit and goes, Hey, you fucking cheated. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good point. Like, like he reverts to a 15-year-old. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's kind of a Johnny Utah point-break situation where he had uh, Brody in, or Bodie in his sights and then just starts fucking firing the gun off into the sky. I mean, that, oh, that's God. kind of Could a tantrum moment. movies of Johnny Utah and Bodie going at it? Oh, Oof. that would have been awesome. We'd be bitching at it. <laughs> oh, we, get it you, we get it. This is a fuck point-break seven. <laughs> But, you know, they got to shoehorn a surfing competition in this. Point, 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 part eight. I promise it's going to shatter this time. Rather than take his loss like a man, Brian decides to fix the system by planting meth in the house of another one of the drivers. This was the moment where I turned on Brian. This was the moment where I thought Brian's just a fucking douchebag. He was okay throughout the course of this movie. I said in the beginning, I thought he was written better. But mm-hmm. this was just like in the second movie where he's looking at fucking Eva Mendez for five minutes while he's driving. This was the moment where I said, you're a fucking douchebag. Yeah, I think he's a douche, but it's almost a, a lovable kind of douche where it's like there's something so kind of pathetic about that. Just trying to fix the system and u- use your authority. As it kind of makes sense with this character's history, like let's not forget this is someone who looks like he graduated from the school of white privilege. <laughs> yeah, good point. Um, but what was up with this Tarant- Quentin Tarantino fever dream sequence? I totally forgot about this and I wanted to throw up. 
<laughs> You're asking the so wrong I, guys, Matt. <laughs> yeah, well, let's get Quentin on the show and he can explain why he loves it so much. That'd be a five-hour conversation and I just tune out. Speaking of tuning out, Brian gets back on Braga's team, reconnects with Dom at a bar. It would have been very easy for, the, for these two guys to just start breaking the fisticuffs at some point. But I, I like how there's a, I don't want to call it respect, but there's a certain amount of, you're the last person I never thought I would see you again. And it's like, I'm just going to tolerate you until I have my opportunity. Yeah. But I got to say, this is the movie I think that proves where they fully committed. We're like, all right, the Brian Dom relationship. That's what we're going to build the series upon. It was a little rocky in the first film, but I think here they really commit to it. And I think these two guys, I think they came to play on this one. Like, I think for the context of the series, I think they're at their best up till this point. You're talking about the actors or the characters? Both. Wow. I guess, I mean, you know, this is a cop who let him go. That's the one thing about this conflict I don't get from Dom's side. The dude fucking sacrificed his job to let you fucking go and gave mm-hmm. you his fucking keys. He has no reason to be fucking mad at him. He really doesn't. But does end up creating a little bit of conflict here. But Alex, you're, you're very prone to say conflict for the sake of conflict, you know, just yeah, to kind of sure. make it happen. And I feel like that's kind of what's going on here because Dom has literally no reason to be mad at it. Right, because we haven't gotten to the Letty reveal yet, right? No. Okay, then you're, yeah, totally, totally. But because it, after we reveal, then that's legitimately something. But up until now, no, not at all. Yeah, and I don't get the sense they hate each other. Because it would have been very easy to play these two guys as they're forced to be paired up. Make this just a, literally a buddy cop movie or go the 48 hours route. They don't do that. I think they play it pretty well. Although Braga should have figured out these two guys definitely have a history. It kind of makes him look like an idiot. Mm-hmm. But speaking of idiocy, Braga leaves his downstairs garage completely unguarded because Dom can just take the service elevator down there and he <laughs> finds the Gran Torino. And I'm pretty sure that car gave a better performance than Gal Gadot when they're flirting. <laughs> <laughs> Holy yeah. shit, is this scene god-awful where he's talking about, I like all bodies regardless of the make. And oh she's like, God. I don't know how to act, so I'm just going to stand here and look upset. It's redemption, boys. It's redemption on Dom's part. He's finding his own self. Yeah, this How Dom got his groove back. That's what you're saying. <laughs> Get him back to yeah. an island with a couple of island bitches. He'll, he'll, he'll figure it out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's Dom Toretto, Mochaccino Gigolo. Like that, that's, that's this entire movie. <laughs> Vin Diesel is just so bad at delivering dialogue, too. Yeah. It's like, yes. The timber of your voice is strong. That does not mean you can deliver dialogue well. Because yeah. he's just kind of smirking and looking down at her. And I like old body. It's like, that. What? I, do you expect that to be sexy? Is this sexy voice? Because it's not any kind of voice. Yeah, it, it makes you wonder what Spielberg saw in him when you put him in Saving Private Ryan those years ago. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Like... He doesn't know how to deliver a line. He was no. there in Private Ryan as literally a background character. Here right. He's front and center. And you're absolutely right. When he's given this dialogue to read, and you know he takes it. Again, I said in the first podcast that, yes. that Vin Diesel, the difference between him and Arnold Schwarzenegger is that Arnold Schwarzenegger can laugh at himself and Vin Diesel doesn't. You know he's taking this and he thinks maybe he might end up on the Oscar stage. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? He takes yep. it so fucking serious. And Absolutely. Just, I wouldn't go that far. Well, okay, I'm saying that he wants it to be taken very serious. And, all right, maybe Dark Knight Realms where it's like he wants it to be very powerful, and it just it doesn't come off as powerful. It comes off as douchey. Mm, totally agree. Brian and Dom, they eventually join the Inner Circle, but in order to get to their destination, they have to get into the back of this tractor trailer and get driven to 
what is revealed to be outside the Mexican border. This is where they're going to get their, I guess, their initiation because they're told like you have to sneak across the border without being seen. This is basically the next five minutes. This is Grand Theft Auto meets hide and seek because they have to get past the helicopters. They got to get past Border Patrol. But this like trek through the catacombs, I think it's pretty damn cool. This was the other thing I remembered about this movie was them going through these caves. And mm-hmm. I don't know. To me, it kind of felt like a combination of the pod race in Phantom Menace and the rail car race in a Temple of Doom. Temple of Doom, like, yeah. Just, yeah, absolutely. It, it, it felt like that to me. And it's fine. I do like that they're going through these caves very fast and they kind of have to make these choices very quickly. But I get lost in it and I don't know where they're going half the time. So I end up kind of not caring in this scene. That's exactly why I don't like it. Is because yeah. there doesn't seem to be a path, a rhyme, or reason to how they turn. I mean, obviously, you can see when we get the perspective of the driver, you can see where a corner is bending. But at that speed, and, and again, logically, you know, all that bullshit <laughs> withstanding, I just don't like it. It's too confusing. You don't know where you are. I get it. You're going through the tunnel, and you might not know where you are. It's dark. Get all that. But I just don't like it. I, I think, Garrett, like you said, the Temple of Doom rail car scene, way more impactful and, and suspenseful than this mm-hmm. is. And, then, you know, the franchise would go on and do way more suspenseful car chases and things like that. So I'm not saying, like, that it doesn't exist. But this one in particular, for me, it just it doesn't land. Well, the part that the only part that I think doesn't work is that it's so dark in there. Mm-hmm. You would think with yeah. the amount of times they've presumably used this system to smuggle drugs they put in lights or signs just to make something a little bit easier to navigate i think it's better than than uh temple doom because there's no short round so it wins by default (laughs) and because vin diesel looks like the kalima guy oh jeez he does he fucking does (laughs) although i do love how the rug is sort of pulled out from underneath them when they show up and they're all going to be presumably executed like it's a one-time drop-off so mm-hmm. th- this drug dealer actually has a decent method of keeping anonymity, but his henchman doesn't seem to realize that Dom has figured out that he killed Letty and is about to, uh, I mentioned Tony Scott. I also got a Anton Fuqua vibe because this is where Vin Diesel becomes the equalizer and yeah. can just yeah, that's true, yeah. take people out. No problem. Yeah. <laughs> this explosion and, and all this, it is as a fan of, of simplistic revenge films, which I am, I appreciate the bombast, but to a certain point, I'm sort of like, this has fully devolved just in this one instance to a canon movie. It's almost like, my name is Anigo Toyota. You wrecked my car, prepare to die. That's what this could have been. <laughs> so with their cover blown, it's $60 million of heroin in their car, which they leave in a used garage because I trust Brian's judgment about as much as I trust a Walmart pregnancy test. Here's where Mia shows up to be the doctor, which she I imagine she stitched up Dom a bunch of times when they were kids because I don't think their dad was around. I'm sure he got into fights. But Dom got shot in the chest slash shoulder and there's no bullet in his body whatsoever. But she Mm. can't find an exit wound. Clearly, she doesn't know 100 percent what the hell she's doing. Sure. I'm wondering if that's the actual thesis of this movie, not the Dom redemption story, but. There's no exit wound. I feel like that's my <laughs> feeling of this series. There's no fucking exit wound inside. But this is where the scene Alex was talking about. It's revealed that Letty was indeed working under the orders, quote unquote, of Brian and the FBI. I do like how this plays out, though, where he calls the phone 
Yeah. And Brian, yep, yep. Brian's like, oh, shit, I didn't realize I still had it. Yeah. And Dom just comes in ready to, like, break his neck. And it calls out what you've been saying for Force Podcast, Matt. These cops are dumb. He still has his fucking phone on him? More importantly, why does he still have a box of evidence at his house? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. Also, I mean, like, we're 2009. We're in the age of burner phones. Why do, Why are you yeah. using your main phone for all of your CIs? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And he got her phone from the crime scene where her quote-unquote body was discovered? Because <laughs> yeah. he had to get that phone back at some point. Mm-hmm. But I do like how, because this series is about family, she was doing it to clear Dom's name. You like that? Yeah, I do like that. To be mm. to be perfectly honest, because because it makes sense. You know, she's always looked out for him, and Dom's a wanted guy. And it makes sense that Brian would have at least one person on that old crew he could coerce into helping. Him. All right, so I know you mentioned this earlier, but what's the timeline here? What are we? Five years after the first film? Uh, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. five. Okay, five years. So in that five years, they have been together that entire time doing these jobs in the Dominican or wherever mm-hmm. they can get this gas or whatever. Yeah. I can see how you could be that devoted to somebody after five years. I could definitely see that. But at the same time, I didn't feel any warmth between these two characters. So it kind of fell a little flat for me. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with it. Okay. It, at this point, it's just like, all right, can we get through this? <laughs> so we can yeah. See. That's exactly how I'm feeling. Too. Yeah, at this yeah. point, I started turning on this movie at the race and mm-hmm. now I'm feeling like, get this fucking over with at this point. Reveal fucking Brago already. Yeah. You know, make exactly. it good by making it Letty. But if you don't need to go another route, fuck it. Just, just, just get this over with. Yeah. And, you know, in a lot of ways, it being the spiritual sequel, this should be a breeze. But it's like they didn't learn the lessons, the mistakes of Too Fast, Too Furious. They didn't learn anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, at this point, you know, we, we talked about the things that we've liked so far. Getting to this point, it just seems kind of tedious at this point. Mm-hmm. Cannot disagree more. I think this movie flies by for me. I don't think there's any like dull spots or periods where I want to fast forward like mm-hmm. me because it's so stripped down. I don't think the Braga component is as tricky to navigate as them being undercover with Cole Hauser in the second one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or yeah, things like that. It's just. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. This is more straightforward. Yeah. Yeah. And it's entirely straightforward and it's still strictly a revenge sure. motive on Dom's part. It's also about two hours long, and I felt every minute of it. I, <laughs> I don't, mean, it's trust me; these will get. I will say right now, these will get too goddamn long. Yeah, I'm but, sure. And I'm not just talking about the five hours you have to wait to ride the ride at Universal. Oh, <laughs> which apparently is by far the worst ride in the park. I didn't get the chance to do it wow, when I was there. Awesome. But, you of all people was, didn't do it, really? I wasn't waiting three hours for. It's not even a ride. Literally, you get on a bus and watch a screen. <laughs> oh, jeez, that's not good. Nice move, Universal. Speaking of nice moves, Dom convinces powers that be slash the Braga estate to organize a meeting. They'll give the shipment back if he hands over $6 million in cash and Braga agrees to show up himself. So we're setting up our big short show short on. It's a triple sting operation because it's where the FBI gets back involved. They all show up and the man that we saw in a suit talking to Compost that Brian sort of snuck in on is indeed a decoy. But it takes them up until that fax for them to say, nope, that's not the guy. They pull the fucking Batman Begins. It's like, yeah. oh, that's not Ra's al Ghul. Mm-hmm. And it's the least satisfying reveal since Race al Ghul, honestly. It's just a dumb reveal. It's like, who cares about this guy that we met 45 minutes ago? Yeah. 
And we, we get another you know chase scene here with the FBI. With their plans failed, they throw Brian under the bus, even though it's their fault for trusting him. Even though he technically did nothing wrong, because they say we're going to file an injunction and look into this. Mm-hmm. I'm like, it's not like he, A, murdered anybody in cold blood or broke any immediate laws outside of traffic violations that they mentioned earlier. But, like, why is it now they're like, God damn it, O'Connor, you're off the case? Because they also didn't know that Braga was the fake Braga. Yeah, yeah. That, <laughs> that's a really good point. I like that this was the breaking point for them. <laughs> yeah, this was the final straw. They should just be like, all right, why do we hire this fucking guy to begin with? <laughs> yeah. We could have avoided this whole thing. With Brian now being a man without a code, to allude to the line that's mentioned earlier, they get into Dom's garage and they let the call back to the first one with this car that's just sitting there. Letty would not let the authorities take this car, even though it's evidence that was found at the scene where Brian let him go. <laughs> I love the legal system in these movies. It is is fucking amazing. Redemption, Matt. Just keep thinking. Redemption. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, you get redemption and atonement because they capture Braga while he's praying in a church. And he's literally trying to buy his way into heaven. Yeah. Like like the Godfather 3, that's what he does. That's exactly what I thought of, too. (laughs) The Godfather comparisons, I would... Never would have guessed. But let's not forget, I'm comparing it to the bastard child of the Godfather trilogy. Still part of the trilogy, though, Matt. Oh, <laughs> Go God. back to that series if you want to hear that that opinion. <laughs> uh, but crazy. it's one of those things where it just hits you over the fucking head over and over. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like, oh, we're in a fucking church. Let's send him to hell now. Oh, yeah. This is where it goes full 80s because he goes, you and I are not so different. I want to stand up and cheer going, okay, they have said fuck it. We got our big climax here where I love that there's a sweeping shot of them being chased by like 30 different cars across the desert. Yep. It literally looks like an excerpt from that next Fury Road. So they're chasing, they go back into the catacombs. And this, you mentioned pod racing. I was thinking of like the trench run from New Hope. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. See, we, we, we've done everything. We've compared it to Godfather. <laughs> we've compared it to Star Wars. We've compared it to Temple of Doom. We've compared it to Transformers. I've compared it to Tony Scott. And now I'm going to yeah. compare it to a full-on Splatterhouse movie when Dom just fucking impales Phoenix with his car. <laughs> Like, Pretty, this is the most violent of the first four movies by far. Yeah. And explain exactly. Phoenix is the one who killed Letty, right? Yeah, He's correct. the one who did it. He's the one in that okay. Grand Torino. Okay. I wasn't sure if he was, like, second in command to Braga or what he, this was. He supposed. pretty much is. Yeah. He's, he's, like okay. his, he's like his odd job. Okay. And he also leaves yeah. nitromethane or whatever the fuck all over the streets. Yeah. And by the way, can I say just how much I hate myself that I actually had to have a plot point of Fast and Furious explained to me? Yeah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> It's not your fault, Garrett. It's not your fault. (laughs) But this is our climax. He gets his revenge. They capture the drug dealer. But because this is the Fast and Furious, you know, law and order Fast and Furious, Dom still gets the maximum sentence because, to quote Pirates of the Caribbean, one good deed does not redeem a man for a lifetime of wickedness. And then Jack Sparrow goes, yeah, but it seems enough to condemn him. (laughs) All right, so yeah, let's throw another franchise. Sense. Let's throw another franchise comparison <laughs> in there. <laughs> Why stop? <laughs> let's keep on doing franchise it. Franchise I want to do next year, by the way. Yeah, I was curious on the high seas. I thought it was weird that, well, not weird, but it was just, wow, they gave a maximum fucking sentence. Yeah, <laughs> and was... I, can't, I, I to be honest, I, I did like that whole thing of, you know, I'm done running. I don't want to run anymore. I want to do it the right yeah. way. You know, fucking bring me in, this, this, and that. And then, <laughs> and then we get what we get at the end. He also did finish the sentence. I'm not running away. 
you guys are going to co- get me. Right. I'm really not going to go serve because I know you're going to get me out of here. Wink, wink. <laughs> well, speaking of wink, wink, the movie ends. Dom gets on a bus. He thinks he's going to prison, going to Lompoc. And then we see the two brothers, Leo and Santos, from the beginning. No Han. He's no. not there because he's in Tokyo Drift in at this Tokyo. point. Yep. Well, we see Mia behind the wheel of a car. I was going to say, seen before. they got Mia out of the house finally. That was kind of cool. Can I just say, though, I do love this. I thought this was a really cool bookend. Like, this is totally just yep. the ridiculousness that I associate with Fast and Furious. I had a whole bunch of slog to get here. From the race on, boys, I was bored as hell. Yeah. Even through the catacombs and everything, I was just, I was waiting for it to end. Mm-hmm. But this kind of got my heart pumping again. And I was like, okay, I'm down for what they bring next. Totally agree. I, I it's a it's a really great bookend, and I just like that it ends on that note too. You know, yeah. and you think you're going to get into another, so you know your heart starts racing again. It's like, all right, we're going to get into a, another height. We're breaking fucking Dom out of jail, out of this fucking bus and shit, and then boom, credits. I kind of oh, like I that because because I, I kind of like how it ends that way. But leading up to it, again, I I totally agree with you, Garrett. Like I I found it tedious. I found it tedious leading up to that point. Although I couldn't help but not think of another 48 hours when they go to Eddie Murphy's bus in that movie. So two things. I'm glad that we are officially done. Speaking of bookends, Ryder is officially done with the cop shit. He has thrown that aside. And from here on out, we really don't have to deal with that. You mean no more chances? Zero? (laughs) He's finally run his leash. (laughs) Yeah. You know what? The way fucking FBI and LAPD is set up in this series... Paul Walker's CGI Brian O'Connor character can show up in Fast 10 and still get hired onto the force. That's <laughs> how awful brothers. the LAPD and the FBI is. This series goes through so many cliches. Evil twin brother better be coming. We have evil brothers later on, but no twin brothers. Right, right. right. I, I, I tell you, Matt, you've brought up cloning already. Like, do you want that to happen <laughs> in, the, in the future? I wouldn't put it past them. If you're going to put it past us, they really make you wait because... This is how the movie ends on a cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. All right, right, boys. Curious where your scores are going to be because I feel like we're all over the map. Yeah. That yeah. Hot piece of ass is telling us where to go. <laughs> um, so, Alex, I'm going to go to you first. Okay. Scale of one to ten. What do you give Fast and Furious? <sighs> all right. Which is what it should have been fucking called. Yeah, it should have been absolutely. Um, well, you know, this is one of my least watched of the series along with Tokyo Drift and Too Fast, Too Furious. I did not have a good time watching this. I didn't. The stuff that I did like, it paled in comparison to the idea that this should have been the sequel. And I feel like it could have been a better time if this was a sequel. But as it is, this is the fourth in the series. And having the old gang back was nice at the outset. But as the movie progressed, it wound up losing me in the, in the second act to the third act. I like the way it ended. I'm okay with that. But, you know, I, I don't remember what I gave Tokyo Drift. I think I may maybe have given it a uh, four. But, you know, it's not as bad as that. I'll, I'll give this a five. I would recommend it to the right person. But I would recommend it with a bunch of stipulations. So, uh, yeah, Fast and Furious, I'm going to give a five. So what you're saying is you've got to get some body work done before you hand it over to somebody. I like all kinds of bodies. You know who doesn't like this movie? Our third person based on this <laughs> conversation. <laughs> so Garrett, uh, put it into drive and take it away. All right. I, I have to echo a lot of what Alex just said. It's um, 
But I have to say, I was encouraged last week. I was kind of rubbing my hands together like, okay, here's Justin Lin. He's back. He's got this cast. Can he make me like them? He does it a little bit. No matter what my score is, let me just say, I recommend, and I even, I did it right before we started, boys. I put it on YouTube and I watched that opening scene again. It's fucking amazing. I cannot Mm -hmm. endorse that opening chase scene more. So my score is going to be jumped up a point just because of that scene. And even after the whole, let me find out what happened to Letty by laying on this street scene, I was still encouraged by the mystery of this. What happened to her? Is she going to be the one who they're chasing at the end? I thought that would have been a great place to take this movie. But the problem is, After the race, this movie just takes a nosedive. I lose interest pretty quick after that, only brought up by the final scene of them going around that bus. I just thought that was extremely fun, and it really made me, I'm not going to say excited, but it made me just kind of look forward to what they do next week, which I hear is the best of the series. We'll talk about that here in a little bit. But as far as my score goes, because of that opening scene, the final stinger, I'm not going to go as low as the first one because I do think it's better than the first one. So I'll just... Give it one more up. I'll go ahead and go five. Five out of ten. Oh, boy. Uh, I think this is the best of the first four. Wow. A lot of this has to do with my sensibilities. I love Tony Scott, and that's who this movie reminds me of. I'm glad that they got all the convoluted bullshit out of the way. They're not as serious as they were in the first one, but there's a certain amount of enjoyment you can take out of it. And once again, Justin Lin, I think he understands what people came to see. They want to see good-looking people do cool stuff with cars and have some decent jokes along the way. And as someone who does not like to, along with 99% of the planet, and thinks Tokyo Drift is fine, but just has a boring lead. I think this is the blueprint for where the series will come or evolve to. It's about these two guys who start the opposite ends of the track and eventually become BFFs and do everything outside of fuck. Although, you know, their family, it's time to find out how far that tie goes. Yeah. It's gotta be a spinoff there. But, I think it's straightforward to a fault to a certain point, but I'm not asking for overly complicated stuff in in this kind of series. And unlike two or three, I think you really need this one. And it's actually kind of improved in hindsight for me based on where the series has gone and how they've called back to it. Aside from bringing Michelle Rodriguez back later, um, there's a couple other things that really make it a fun watch for me. So with all that said, I'm going to go an eight on the scale of this uh, scale of this series. I don't find this movie to be a slog at all. I have a good time with it every time I watch it, but it's not my favorite. But I think it's horseshit that this is the lowest scored one on Rotten Tomatoes. Apparently, Alex, Mm -hmm. Matt goes for horrible Israeli accents. (laughs) (laughs) Because that's our natural voice for the record. I know it is. You know, to each his own, Matt. That's all, that's yeah. all I got to say. I got my own shit, too. We're not going to talk about that on my, this podcast. She's not even my type, for one thing. She's not even my type of gender. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I don't know what the fuck you think of getting an appeal out of her. I mean, Paul Walker was a decent-looking guy. But speaking of hot testosterone guys that you don't want to fuck with, that brings us to number five, which we're yes. talking about next week. Because a certain someone was about to lay the smack down on Vin Diesel. I can't wait to talk about that next week. Uh, yes, sir. Because next week marks the arrival. We got the return of Justin Lin. We got the return of Chris Morgan. But we're about to have a run-in by Dwayne Johnson. Because let's not forget, 30 publicists had to die for him to stop being called The Rock. <laughs> and this, is, a, say, this if, is the best of the series. So going into the next one, what are you guys thinking? And isn't this the beginning of the swollest rock we've ever seen? This and Hercules. 
Oh, okay. Gotcha. Because there was a point where he got so big, he was borderline immobile. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. And it also helps. He's like, give me a t-shirt that's two sizes too small. Right, right, right. I keep hearing people tell me that this is the best of the series. Like I said, that whole first binge I did of this back in 15 was a blur. So I don't remember hardly anything except The Rock being in it. And Brian's not in the FBI or police anymore. Let's see where they take this. I'm kind of encouraged to watch it. I, uh, I'm i excited. I distinctly remember watching this in the theater. So uh, pretty excited oh, that's to right. That's right. review you did. this. I did not see this in the theater. And I'm, I was kind of kicking myself at the time. As a pro wrestling fan, I would watch anything The Rock did. I just wasn't introduced to the series yet or didn't choose to voluntarily go to see them. But oh, mm-hmm. little tidbit for you listeners before we get into next week's show. The Rock was not the original choice for that part. Mm. And by the way, Matt, this isn't next week. This is next month. <laughs> so try to think about over the next month, what Fast Five would have been if they went with Tommy Lee Jones instead of The Rock? Oh. Jesus Christ. Wow. <laughs> wait, wait. I can't wait to dissect this. I can't, I can't even, fuck. Wait, what? Can't even wrap my head around that. <laughs> yeah, well, that's why I'm giving you a month to think about it. <laughs> okay, fair enough. You know what? That was, that's that's fair enough. Fair enough on your part. Speaking of stuff to think about before we sign off the media, but just can't get enough content that we put out. And you want to listen to people besides Garen and myself, bingemedia.com slash Patreon for just five bucks a month. You get the full binge. So you get to listen to the full four plus hours of the binge cast. You got movie homework. You got invites to our monthly hangout. You get the Jack Attack Tuesday. You got yeah. beer and shot recipes. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm going to pitch some things to maybe put on there too. So, uh, oh, yeah, exciting. some ideas. Excellent. But uh, yeah, it's um, me and Matt both on it, and I want to get on the hangout eventually. Those are tough nights for me, but I would love sure. to join everybody in because it sounds like it's a real good time. Yes, and for the record, before we also sign off, I have to clear up one piece of business. No, I am not naming my soon-to-be-born son after a character in the Fast and Furious franchise. <laughs> I don't even know why we're doing this then. <laughs> I, th- I thought it was all leading up to that, Matt. I thought by the end of you know Fast Nine and everything, we were gonna get a big reveal. <laughs> that was gonna be the reveal. <laughs> that was gonna uh, be <laughs> but you know, I-, I have to say, look, we've- we're only four movies in. We have what four or five more to go. It's been better than I've expected. I am encouraged by what we're going to get to next month when we get back to this series. I like the anticipation being built for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, Matt, you and I have already recorded the second part of the M. Night Shyamalan retrospective. And this set of shows is a set of shows you will not want to miss. We have The Village. We have Lady in the Water, which is a podcast I highly recommend. The Happening, The Last Airbender, and After Earth. All next month. And boy, oh boy, are those a set of shows. Wow. Yeah. You want to talk about someone dreading that? Your, yeah. your apprehension about Fast and Furious does not hold a candle. <laughs> to what I had to experience going through Shyamalan's resume. So, But it's going to be fun to go back to the series, too. It's been an experience, and uh, I'm looking forward to see what Justin Lin does. Like you said, Matt, he's the David Yates of this series right now, so we'll see where he takes it. So until next time, boys, we're going to take a little sabbatical, refill our fuel tanks, come back with Fast Five. But until next time, how do you say goodbye to your only podcast? You don't. Thanks, guys. See ya. Which one of these things is a dollar? It says something about. Come on.
The Binge Aftertaste is produced by Garrett and Matt. It don't matter if you win by an inch or a mile. Winning's winning. Tuna. No crust. No crust. So now we got cars flying in the air on some 007 type shit? This is not what we do. I feel like the sky is falling down. Ain't nobody here to play around. Push it to the edge, I won't back down. Cause it's time to go hard and go Voice narration done by Adam. You don't turn your back on family. Even when they do. Edited by Garrett. You know what DK stands for? Donkey Kong. Drift King. That could have been my forehead, man. No, that's not as big as your forehead. I used to say I live my life a quarter mile at a time. And I think that's why we were brothers. Because you did too. I got my blue moon all set. I'm good to go, Matt, whenever you are. No Corona. We've had four shots at this. What the fuck is wrong with you? We're talking about Fast and Furious. <laughs> Our casino serves Corona. I want to stay away from Corona. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> I got an orange. True. I got really we, good we picked the worst. E- we picked the worst year to do this retro. <laughs> <I know. laughs> You're not kidding. <laughs> Garrett at this point is saying, I'd rather just want to go forwards. I don't want to go backwards. Just yeah. Well, mm-hmm. let's uh, first of all, Alex, you're recording, right? I just wanted to. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sure. <laughs> okay. All right. I, I'm yeah. just making sure. Yep. You have no idea the experiences me and Matt have had this last year. <laughs> no worries. All right. Everybody needed this at this point. Paul Walker, you know, he he showed up in a in a, what was the name of that uh, dumb movie that he did uh, with the gun. God damn, I can't remember the name of it. Running Scared. Oh, Running God. Scared, yeah. <laughs> this scene is fucking phenomenal. Mm-hmm. I love this opening action scene.
I'm shocked that he's being positive. Like, I don't have a response. I thought I was going to have to fight. <laughs> I was waiting for the other shoe to drop it myself. <laughs> I, I was waiting for the but or to be no. fair or some no. other. Yeah. We're going to see him drive one car of these three. I don't think the other two get used at all. Mm-mm. Have we passed the scene where he frames the other guy for the meth yet? Or I don't no, think that's, so. No, that's later because okay. that's after he leaves. Yeah, they, the they, they pick okay. the drivers. All right. Yeah. All right. It's almost like my name is Anigo Toyota. You wreck my car, prepare to die. That's what this could have been. Oh, boy. I'm going to give everyone a pause to recover from that terrible car. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, with their cover seemingly... Hold hold on, I'm not done yet. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. Go ahead. I trust Brian's judgment about as much as I trust a Walmart pregnancy test. (laughs) For the record, that's not the one Christian and I have used. Um, Good, good. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> You're so proud of that line. Once a podcast, Matt has a line where you could tell he's just so proud he's waiting for the reaction. Yep. Uh-huh. <laughs> I thought it was going to be the Nico Toyota line. <laughs> At the same time, I didn't feel any warmth between these two characters, so it kind of fell a little flat for me. Okay. I'm so used to Alex <laughs> jumping in to offer his comments, and I don't know how to transition. No, uh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, nothing else to add. I mean, I'm 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 fine with it. Matt, I can't hear you, dude. You... Yeah, we can't hear you. Yeah, we can't hear you at all. How about now? Yep. Okay. Yeah, you're good. Go ahead. Sorry, I had to sneeze. I stepped away. It's okay. (laughs) You've been listening to the Binge Media Podcast Network on BingeMedia.net. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Buy some merch at BingeMedia.net slash shop. Subscribe to our newsletter at BingeMedia.net slash newsletter. And don't forget, I can't get enough soup. Bob, oh girl.